Hello, my name is Aoife Smith, and I will be having a conversation with Erica Canerni for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is July 16th, 2019, and this is being recorded at Brooklyn Public Library. Okay. Hi, Erica. Hi. <laughs> um, I guess we could start off with, um, so where are you born? Where did you grow up? Okay. Uh, I, I was born in Needham, Massachusetts, outside of Boston, uh, which then and now is, is a very uh, lily-white suburb. Uh, and I was, uh, uh, that was, I was born in 1970, so I'm in my, I'm in my late 40s. Uh, and so, yeah, so I grew up uh, one of four children in, in, a, uh, in an Irish Catholic family outside of Boston. Uh, my father was an electrical engineer. Uh, my mother was a school teacher. Uh, and I had uh, two brothers and one sister. Uh, it was a very conservative family. Uh, and the trouble started with me started early. <laughs> I, uh, some of my, my earliest memories actually are, uh, are stealing my sister's clothes. Uh, when I was young, I, uh, I was fascinated with my sister's clothes. And when Christmas came, I couldn't understand why she got these great clothes, and I got like socks, you know. <laughs> so, so I, you know, I would, uh, you know, I would always steal my sister's clothes, and you know, and, and wear them when no one was looking. And of course, I, I got caught. And and uh, when I was about six, uh, my mother, uh, I was getting ready to go to school. I had already maybe gone to school, and my and I got caught again by my sister, uh, and my mother sat me down and said and said, you can't do that. You can't steal your sister's clothes. Everyone's going to call you a sissy. And the other boys at school are going to beat you up. So you can't do that. And she was right. Where and when I grew up, that's what would have happened. So I say that I went into the closet about the age of six. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I stayed there for, uh, for a very long time. But I was... Uh, Throughout my childhood and my adolescence, uh, and uh, growing up in this sort of conservative place, very white, conservative, uh, tended to be mostly uh, Italian and Irish Catholics, uh, I, I knew there was something different about me. Uh, you know, uh, I knew when I was growing up, uh, when my parents left the house, or when uh, I was left alone in the house. I knew exactly where all my sister's dresses were and all my parents' dresses were, and I knew how long it took to put them on, and I knew how long it took to, to, to take them off before they came home. And so I, very young, was living a double life. I was, you know, I had a double life. And uh, on the, for a time, on the surface of it, uh, I was uh, uh, indistinguishable from any other, uh, any other little boy, but over time, during uh, adolescence, it became apparent to everyone that there was something different about me. Uh, so, I, ha I, was a, I was a messed up teen. I, uh, I, as you know, I, uh, uh, I, you know, I, uh, I wanted to express myself, uh, and it was really not possible. And so, the only, you know, I, I, I developed friends that, you know, uh, sort of a. It was this, the 80s at this point, and you know, um, were uh, friends that would allow me to express myself. So, you know, I when I was a teenager, I grew my hair long and I wore jewelry, and you know, and I had sort of a, 
uh, an early Bowie look going, or maybe like a flock of seagulls. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I had, uh, I, I have pictures of it. I did have a flock of seagulls there. Jays, they're doing like, yeah, that work. Okay. Hopefully that won't last too long. Uh, so, uh, you know, and uh, and I, I started, you know, expressing myself in the way I dressed and that kind of thing. I had a girlfriend for a while who later came out as lesbian, and our relationship really wasn't sexual. And it was really kind of strange that we got together because it was not a, like a normal like first romance. It was really it was more like. We saw in each other the need, like, to not be normal, <laughs> and so, uh, and she, uh, she was really, I wasn't out to her as a trans person, but you know, she, she would put, we would do makeup together, and she, you know, and that kind of thing, and, uh, and uh, I didn't know. This is true. I didn't know there was a word for me uh, until I was about thirteen or fourteen. And I uh, now this is this this is the 70s and 80s. There really are no trans people in the media except in occasional you know I mean Rocky Horror Picture Show you know and, you know, uh, and a few other uh, appearances on television. But there were no trans people in the in the in the uh, in the media. I always say that the only the only trans person on television when I was growing up was Corporal Klinger on MASH, you know, who was, who was this person who wore women's clothes to get kicked out of the military. <laughs> and the irony is uh, somehow we all succeeded years later. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had no, I had no role models uh, and, you know, uh, and didn't really know there was a word for me uh, until I was about 13, 14 in the high school library. And, and if you can imagine this, the, the uh, uh, browsing around in the stacks and, you know, found my way to the, uh, what we would call the LGBT center, or the, I think by the high school called it the alternative life center or something. I don't know what it was called. And, uh, and uh, I found there a copy of The Transsexual Empire by Janice Raymond. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it is a... Uh, it is uh, the sort of Bible for TERFs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists. Uh, it is a hateful work, uh, and it describes trans people as, uh, uh, as uh, akin to the eunuchs of, of medieval China and suggests that we be morally eradicated. That's an actual quote. That was the first book that I found where... <laughs> where all of a sudden, I realized there was a a word for me. B, we were a recognized phenomenon, and C, there were people who really didn't like us. <laughs> so uh, I always say, you know, like like um, finding that book. It was kind of like if you were the only Jewish person in a town, and you went to the library to find out something about Jewish people, and the only book you could find in the library was Mein Kampf. It was you know, like that's sort of what it was like, you know, and. Um, so, you know, it was, uh, uh, and, and, you know, things were hard when I was a teenager. I, I got beat up, you know, on several occasions, you know, for looking different. Uh, and uh, then I went to college. I went to an all-girls school. I went to Wheaton College uh, the first year I went co-ed. And I sort of thought, like, you know, I sort of had this idea I would be one of the girls. 
didn't work out that way. They sort of took all the all the men and put them on one camp, a dorm on the edge of campus, uh, and then um, you know uh, it wasn't really like I'd hoped, and I wasn't able to express myself there really. Uh, so yeah, I guess that's my beginnings. Okay. Solid. <laughs> yeah, well, difficult. Definitely yeah. difficult. Solid. Yeah. Detailing of it. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> well, uh, well, you know, moving forward with my sort of uh, evolution in terms of identity, uh, uh, you know, I traveled around a lot in my twenties. I I, uh, I spent time in Asia as an undergraduate, and uh, and I did. Uh, uh, I also spent time in Madison, Wisconsin, where I roomed with I roomed with a trans person who uh, identified as a transvestite. And uh, and her and uh, and I don't know what what pronouns to Tussie. Her name was Tussie, but but it was but it, it was a different it was a different time then, and it, people were less clued into. I certainly was things like pronouns, and so Tussie, I sometimes called Tussie she, and sometimes called Tussie he, and uh, and Tussie was a big friendly tranny, and. Uh, and uh, sorry, can I use that word? I mean, we use you can it. Use okay, you're trans women use that among each other, but yeah. I know that like other people don't. No, but you're comfortable with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I sometimes use that. It's more, <laughs> with the caveat that like you know you know usually when other trans women call me a tranny, mm-hmm. it's totally cool. If anyone else calls me, a tranny, no, I totally, like, I totally. Use that. <laughs> exactly. It's like as long as it's another trans person, it's cool. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so. Someone not in the community. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, let's see, where was I? So, um, I was, uh, you know, I traveled around a lot. Uh, then what was I talking about? Tussie. Was that? Tussie. Oh, Tussie, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was, I spent, in my junior year, I, I went to Madison, Wisconsin for a summer semester, and I roomed with, a, uh, with, with Tussie, Tussie the tranny, and, and, and she was super sweet, uh, you, you know, and, uh, you know, we had we had a friendship, you know, but uh, honestly, it was too much for me because you know I, I still had come from this conservative place. I still didn't have a sense of who I was, and although this person was sort of reaching out to me and would invite me to go out, I I, I stood back. I really I, I, I couldn't uh, I I couldn't make that step at that point. Uh, you know, I was about twenty, and I couldn't make that step. It was too it was too frightening because I could see that Tussie had a very difficult life, and you know, people didn't treat her very well. Uh, she was, you know, uh, and so uh, I, I, I hung back from it. Uh, after college, I, you know, I spent time in Hawaii uh, and more in Asia. Uh, I got a, you know, a graduate degree and that kind of thing. And then I moved back to Boston, and uh, I, you know, I had a degree in philosophy, uh, you know, and, and difficult to get a job. So I ended up working in software, and uh, for a time. And while I was living in Boston, and this was in the 90s, and this is where things get interesting, I, I started hanging out at, a, there was a bar um, uh, in Alston in the Model Cafe. And it was sort of, a, then and now, it was sort of a hip place. Like it was where like, you know, like, uh, you know, it was like where, where hip people hung out. So me and my friends, you know, would go there, and, uh, and we, had, we knew everyone there, and it was, it was a lot of fun. And one of the regulars there was a was a trans woman named Rita, 
uh, and I'll give you her full name, Rita Hester, and I'll explain why in a minute. Uh, and Rita was a gorgeous um, black trans woman. She was uh, taller than me, I'm 6'2", Rita was probably 6'3", 6'4", she was very tall. Uh, very beautiful, uh, hair all cornrowed, and she had these beautiful big black eyes. And uh, in my memory, she was always there at the corner of the bar, and she would she would always wear evening gloves. I think she she had she didn't like the, her hands. Her hands are too big, like mine. You know, she she would wear like you know like evening gloves. And uh, and uh, you know uh, my my friends uh, for my friends she was too much. You know. Uh, I started talking to her, and I liked her, and I think honestly she saw something in me. And I'll still remember, this is the, this is the night that changed my life. I'm about 26, and we're all uh, there, and it's late. It's, uh, the bars close at 2 in Boston, and we closed down the bar, and we were all drunk, drunk, drunk. And we all left at 2, and there was always some after party somewhere. So we were going to some late night party, and we were walking across the Mass Pike, and Rita was with us. And, uh, and in front of all my friends, uh, Rita said, I, I don't want to go to this party. You know, do you want to come to my place? And right there in front of all my friends, I, I, uh, I, I kissed her in front of all my friends, and I went home with her. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, and we, we, uh, we had a, a, brief, a brief romance. It wasn't serious, you know, it was an occasional thing. Uh, but it was very important to me because uh, she could see me, and it was with her for the first time that I went to Jacques, which is Boston's only tranny bar then or now. Uh, there might be another one now, but for a very long time it was the only uh, tranny bar in Boston. Uh, and we went there, <coughs> and, um, uh, and then she got me to go dressed, which was, which was, which was like unbelievable. I was like 26, 27, no hormones, I mean, you know, uh, at all. Uh, and I was, you know, uh, but I looked good because I was young, you know, and like I, like I looked good. And, and it really was like something for me. And it was, and then from that experience, some other people found out that I'd gone to shocks like that. And then I had another, uh, this other friend who like, you know, she, she, she wanted to help me, so I would go over her place and I would dress at her place. Yeah, I hope that. So, um, so this was big. I'm 26, 27. I'm sort of poking my toes out of the closet, you know, and uh, and uh, and then uh, then some bad things happened. And the really bad thing that happened was that Rita, Rita Hester, uh, was uh, this is 1998. Uh, she was murdered, and uh, she was uh, her body was found. Uh, uh, multiple stab wounds uh, in or near her apartment, I'm not sure, and nothing had been taken from the apartment. So it was not robbery, it was, it was, it was hatred. Uh, and uh, so she, she was murdered. Uh, and uh, it, the, one thing, uh, the one thing I remember is, uh, well, I remember hearing about it at work and, you know, you know, crying, but you know, running to the bathroom to cry because you know, I, you know, I couldn't tell anyone what what was going on, and and then you know, her funeral. Uh, I I didn't go to her funeral or her memorial service, and honestly, I was. People knew that I hung out with her. People knew my friends all knew I'd been romantically involved with her, and I was like, I was scared. Like it was like all of a sudden I had this. Uh, 
uh, that's what hap- what happens to people who come out of the closet, right? And I and I was terrified. And what I remember, uh, I'm like tearing up. And then what I remember uh, mostly is, uh, and this is in the, this is 1998 in Boston, uh, which you think you know that, that a liberal city. When they ran the coverage on the Boston Globe, they insisted on two things, the newspapers. First of all, that they insisted on calling Rita by her birth name, which she never used. Uh, she never used, but they printed it every, every day. And the coverage, by the way, was extensive because this was scandalous, you know. Uh, transgen- transgender woman, I think they called her a transsexual woman, you know, uh, murdered. So they, every day they'd print her birth name, and they would also include in the article that, you know, that uh, she ran ads in the adult section of the Boston Phoenix because they thought that the most relevant point was that she did sex work. And so those are the two things that ran in the paper every day. And for me, it was, it was devastating. And some of her friends wrote a letter to the Boston Club and said, would you stop it? You know, would you stop it? You know, she, she never used that name. She never used that name. And, you know, and in terms of what she did, you know, uh, I don't know why that needs to be in there either. You know, uh, and they didn't change. You know, they just said, they just said, it's on our birth certificate and it's on the police report and that's what we have to do. And for me, uh, it was devastating because I was, you know, someone who was just poking their, their toe out of the closet and I was like, that's what happens to people like me. And not only, do, 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 you know, are they the subject of violence, but then humiliation afterwards. And so I, uh, I, uh, I, 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 uh, I really had a reevaluation of you know what I was doing. I was terrified. I went back into the closet and slammed it behind me. I uh, started dating a woman in Brooklyn, and I moved down to Brooklyn and embraced normalcy. I, <laughs> I left my girlfriend. We then got married. Uh, you know, we lived in Brooklyn for years, and uh, and I, on some level, I wanted all that behind me. But there was only one problem. It wasn't behind me. And uh, just as when I had been younger, I stole, now I stole my wife's clothes, okay? So, you know, and she knew, and you know, and it wasn't cool with her. And so, uh, you know, she just didn't wanna know. And so uh, I lived in Brooklyn with her, deep in the closet, although I would go to gay bars, you know, and uh, because I, you know, I'm bisexual and I like boys. I like boys and girls. Um, but you know, my, uh, and my wife knew that. She knew I was bi, and that wasn't such a problem as long as it didn't involve women's clothing. Uh, you know, uh, so I would go to gay bars and I would meet guys. Uh, but I, I. I then and now, you know, sort of, uh, you know, gay bars are a funny fet for trans people sometimes. It's like, sometimes you feel like you're welcome and sometimes you don't. So that went on for years. Then I got a, a journalism gig. And meanwhile, I, you know, in career-wise, I'd, I'd quit software and I'd become a teacher uh, at the college level. And then uh, uh, in 2004, I got a journalism gig overseas, so I went to uh, South Asia, and I was there for about two and a half years. My wife came with me initially, and 
while we were over there, while we were in Asia, our marriage just fell apart. And there were many contributing factors. One was that she hated Asia. Uh, one was that uh, being away from friends and family gave me a sense of, you know, no one's looking at me, you know. And my wife was in America half the time anyway because she didn't like Asia. And so I was like, by myself. And that led me, that led me to, uh, you know, when you're when you stepping away from your friends and family can have a powerful effect. Uh, and so I, uh, you know, I started becoming a different person. Uh, and uh, uh, I, I started openly dating men, uh, and then and then also cross-dressing and dating men uh, in India, which was kind of a weird thing. I was I, I did stories on the hijra on the on South Asian transsexuals, and. Uh, yeah, so uh, the marriage just could not survive this. She was she couldn't handle it. She didn't like it, and she decided she wanted children. And for me, it was the last thing I wanted. And so uh, when I came back, you know, we had this sort of painful divorce. Uh, and uh, then I went to uh, I was back from Asia. I was broke. I was couch surfing, uh, and. Uh, you know, the divorce was still not final, it was awful. And then I got one break. Everything was going wrong. I'd lost my funding, I'd lost my wife, I'd lost my life, and my life had fallen apart, and I got one break. And my one break was I got into an artist colony. I got into, uh, I got into the McDowell colony up in New Hampshire to do my book. And so, it was, you know, it's, it was a big deal for writers to go there. So. So I went there, and you know, you know, it's it's everything. If you've heard of it, it's everything you've heard. It's you know, it's like you died and went to heaven. Uh, you know, this beautiful place in the woods, and and uh, I, you know, so I was up there uh, writing my book in the middle of the winter, and one day I'm having a, uh, I'm eating breakfast, and someone says, after breakfast there's a uh, there's going to be a performance outside. There's a performance performance artist here, and she's going to be performing outside. So I, I went outside after breakfast, and out of the woods, and it was a snowy day, there was like two feet of snow on the ground, and there was snow in the trees, and out of the woods, out of these fir trees, comes this giant Christmas ornament. It's like this giant red ball. It had to be 15 feet across. It was giant, and it was rolling across the snowy field, and it was being chased by a Christmas tree, and the, <laughs> someone dressed as a Christmas tree. And the Christmas tree, uh, I say it was love at first sight, the Christmas tree is my current partner, uh, uh, Pat Alesco, who's a, uh, who's a performance artist. And, um, and uh, 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 there was something about the performance that really touched me. She was doing this, it was like the Christmas tree was chasing the Christmas ornament. And I was like, somehow it touched me. And I was like, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, you know, and then I got to know Pat, and Pat said that her, uh, you know, she described her work as transformation through wardrobe. And I was like, oh, transformation through wardrobe. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I think maybe like, maybe like we could get along. And so, you know, we hung out and, and we hooked up while we were there. And, and, and we just had this real wonderful connection. And, uh, and and, uh, and then when our time up there was done, uh, Pat doesn't drive, so she said, you know, I need you to drive me back to New York. So I showed up in a U-Haul, and, and I drove her back to New York, and, uh, and it, was, 
and it was near, um, uh, it was in the winter near Valentine's Day. And she said, well, stay through Valentine's Day and then leave. And 12 years later, she's still waiting for me to leave. But I was, <laughs> anyway, you know, I stayed there. Uh, and, uh, uh, and I was, when I first met her up in New Hampshire, I was somewhat honest with her. I was like, I'm by, you know. And, and she, you know, I helped her with her performances. And, you know, her performances involve a lot of wild costume, with, like, you know. And she was like, are you, you know, are you okay with this? You know, are you okay with like wearing a dress? You know, while during this? Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> no, right? So, which is actually awesome, right? And then like you know, but but I, I didn't tell her what I now knew, which was that this wasn't something from that just happened to me during childhood. This wasn't just something that happened to me as you know in my twenties or you know because I drank too much. This was you know this was me, and uh, and uh, so when we got to New York. Uh, we were together for a brief time, and then she went on a gig. She travels a lot and does a lot of gigs in other countries. I forget where she went, like Europe or something. And she came back, and she walks in the bathroom, and she walks out, and she says, uh, okay, you're having an affair on me, and I'm not angry, but I want to know who it is. I said, Pat, what are you talking about? I'm not having an affair on you. And she said, I was just in the bathroom. Look, here's this eyeliner and this, you know, and this mascara, and I don't wear either of these. And she's like, who is she, right? So I said, Pat, you know, the terrible truth is that the other woman is me. <laughs> and can I say that in all the time, this was like 12 years ago, 11 years ago, uh, she has never uh, had a problem with it. She has never been difficult about it. Um, she has always been supportive. She has always had a sense of humor about it, which is so important to me. And, and she has been, without her, I wouldn't have been able to survive. And I don't think that I would have become as comfortable in my skin as I became. And, uh, and she has been really my rock. Uh, and uh, I'm, <clears throat> I'm scheduled for gender affirmation surgery in December. And all the things that go with that, you know, the difficult things. I spend half my life in a doctor's office, and, you know, and all the, you know, the, the, the specialists and the, the psychiatrists and everything else that go with it, and the endocrinologists and everything that go with the preparation, which is, yeah, which is, which is, which, and, and she is, uh, she is, she is really imperturbable, you know, uh, she is, uh, uh, she, uh, is my best ally. And when things fell apart with my family, which they did, because as I came out of the closet, uh, I stopped hiding it, and then uh, they tried to pretend it wasn't happening. And then I said, you know, uh, I came out to my family. They took it badly. Uh, and uh, I am not currently in contact with my family and haven't been for many years, uh, a number of years, and except for one brother who calls me occasionally, and occasionally I do, I do get handwritten letters from my mother, and about two or three times a year I write letters to my mother. But my family basically, did my relationship with my family ended pretty much a number of years ago when I, when I came out. 
uh, and she has been my my staunchest defender, uh, and and um, you know I couldn't really couldn't do it without her. So uh, that's the long and the short of it. I ended up teaching at Pace University, where I still teach, and where uh, there were also extensive problems with me coming out. Uh, I was, and as far as I know, still am, uh, the only openly trans faculty member. Oh. Is it motion? We're so still. We're so still. It turned off. I've never done that before. I'm usually so fidgety. Uh, the only thing I'm moving is my mouth, right? So, uh, it, you know, I came out at work and it was awful. And I'm not, I'm not uh, reticent about saying Pace University was an awful place to come out of the closet. <laughs> it was horrible. I know. This is a true story. I, I, I didn't come out at work for as long as I could. You know, I now dressed as a woman. Everyone who knew me called me Erica. Uh, but until I got my legal name change, which only happened about two years ago, I put that off for a while. Until I got my legal name change, I did not come out at work. And I only came out at work when I had the legal name change. That had to go to payroll so that I could get paid. And then that had to make its way to my department. I knew it was not going to be okay. I teach in the philosophy department, and it's all men. And so uh, I knew it was going to be bad, uh, but I had a legal name change, and my name was Erica, and, and my driver's license said female now, and there was no way, you know. So I wrote to my, this is a true story, I wrote to my department head, and I said, Ed, Ed the department head, I said, Ed, you know, uh, you've noticed probably my name change as long as, as well as my change of appearance. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm trans, I'm a transsexual and, uh, you know, and, and I need your support. He wrote back and said, thanks for telling me. I went away on vacation for a week. When I came back, my key did not fit in the door of my office. And they had given my office to another professor. <laughs> <laughs> and that was, and that, was, that was how it started. Uh, and then a few weeks later, Ed, the department head, said, we know you've been teaching this course for 10 years and you have good reviews, but we've decided you're not going to teach it anymore. And then a few weeks later, he said, with another one of my courses, you've been teaching this course for 10 years with good reviews, but you're not going to teach that anymore either. <laughs> and. Within about a month or so, uh, he'd taken away about half my course load and half my income. And uh, at the same time, uh, it was like it was a it was like a night and day transformation of the of the office. I used to be uh, I was kind of popular in the office. I would like you know I like to tell jokes. <laughs> Suddenly, people I had known for ten years and I've been there uh, eleven years at this point. People I'd known for, for years would walk by me without looking at me, like they didn't know who I was. And, and, uh, and uh, in the, de the department uh, administrative assistant, she, she, uh, she tried to lock me out of the ladies' room. And, you know, and then she, she said she was so uncomfortable going to the ladies' room with me, she used to go up three flights of stairs just, so, just to make sure I wouldn't be in there. And, and it was awful. It was awful. And uh, so, you know, I, I uh, filed a complaint with the university. Uh, the, the, it went nowhere because, you know, I'm not tenured and the people I was 
complaining about were, and there was a power imbalance, and uh, I didn't get anywhere. And so eventually I, you know, I lawyered up and I filed with the, the Human Rights Commission. And it's been working its way through the Human Rights Commission uh, system, which takes forever. And anyway, this has been going on for years. It's still not over. And I, I, it's much more likely that I will die of old age, it feels like, than that any kind of you know, recompense for what they did to me is going to happen. They, they took away uh, uh, much of my income uh, and, and much of my work, uh, which I've been struggling to replace you know, over the last few years. And uh, it has been devastating to me. It has been awful, absolutely awful. And the most difficult part of teaching at Pace University, one more time, Pace University, which is a horrible place if you're LGBT, just thought I'd mention that. Uh, <laughs> if you're LGBT, think long and hard about Pace. Because the, the real crushing thing is that, you know, that on their website and their other materials, they will say that they are the progressive, most progressive, most, most diverse place in the universe. And there's no place you'd rather be if you were queer. Well, yeah, there is. <laughs> so so uh, it's been a lot, work has been awful. And as I get ready for surgery, which is, you know, which is, which is not a cure-all, and yet it is a milestone, you know, and it, and it, it, it uh, uh, moves, you know, it's important to me, certainly. And as I get ready for it, I look back and I say, you know, being, being, a, being trans, and I identify as a transsexual woman, I'm a transsexual, uh, being a transsexual has uh, in many ways ruined my life. I've, I've lost my family. I've uh, lost uh, my career is circling the drain uh, and has been for years. Uh, you know, uh, I've at times almost lost my sanity. And... Uh, you know, you know, all these things that I've lost. And I, uh, I think of that, and, 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 uh, uh, and I, I, if I wanted anyone to know anything about what it's like to be me, that what they should know is the loss that accompanies my identity. Because I fear there's a lot of people out there who think that, like, trans people think this is cool, you know, and like, you know, and, you know, or like, you know, like, uh, we're, we're trying to annoy people or something, you know, that was, you know, I think, you know, the Vatican recently released a statement saying that, you know, that transgender people seek to, seek to, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, be provocative or something. That's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, I seem to be provocative. You know, and, and I want to say, I want to I write a letter to people who think that way and say, listen, no one in their right mind would have chosen this. You know, in other words, it chose me. And, you know, and, and, uh, you know, and the choice I faced was the, is the choice almost all trans people face on some level, I think, and that's that, you know, uh, you can be, you know, you can, you can, you can uh, have a fulfilling life as the person you are, or you, uh, and all the, but and all the, suffer all the loss that comes with it, or you can hide in the closet for the rest of your life and rob yourself of your own dignity. 
And I say, you know, which is worse? The world can take my dignity and my money. They, they can take my money. They can take my career. My family can abandon me, but they can't, take, they can't take my dignity in the sense of personal integrity that I get out of saying, this is who I am. Uh, and the, the alternative, you know, of hiding, uh, in that case, I would do the damage to myself. And so I say, uh, I, 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 you know, and it, it sounds grim, uh, but the calculus uh, for me and many trans people is really that simple. And, uh, and, and, it, uh, and, and if people understood the loss that accompanies, you know, gender transition, and, you know, not just the ones I've mentioned, but friends as well. I, when I, you know, I, I, I lost so many friends, especially straight men. You know, it's like they can't take it. You know, and 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 the and and I, um, it, the friends that I've lost. If people just knew the loss that accompanies it, the tears that accompany it, you know, the the displacement, the, you know, uh, all of which shows up in statistics. It's like, you know, why why do we why do trans people have a high suicide rate? Well, you know, is it because we're suicidal? No, it's because the you know the the, the foundations of our life, employment, family. You know, etc. and so forth are often taken away from us for the worst of reasons. Uh, you know, uh, so you know the all the statistics of you know un, you know unemployment and poverty and suicide and drug use among trans people. Yes, it's because the things that prevent all those things are you know are are you know equal opportunity, you know acceptance in society, family connections, you know uh, you know. Uh, uh, social connections, all of which are disrupted by tra by transition, uh, and uh, you know um, the harm that my gender transition has done to my career, my family life. Uh, you know, I just wish people. Uh, you know, uh, when I think of you know the people who hate us, you know, and there are many. You know, I, I want to say, uh, you know, do you realize that? Do you realize that? Because I think the picture that some people have of trans people is of, you know, uh, you know, some sort of crazed, you know, <laughs> crazed lunatic, you know, and uh, who's doing it for because of uh, uh, for thrills or something, you know, and and uh, uh, yeah. So you know, I don't know. When I talk about my life, you know, uh, I, I, I just and especially now, I mean. Being trans in the age of Trump is really an experience, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> Being trans in the age of Trump, it's really, you know, can I say though, some days I wake up and I say, this is the worst of times, you know, look, you know, the, 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 the federal government, you know, is taking away job, job protections and our right to work and, you know, and, and our dignity, et cetera, and so forth. And then I say, you know what, but it's also the best of times. You know what, because getting dressed and walking outside is an act of revolution, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, how great is that, right? And so, you know, but, but uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the cultural war that rages on the, the, the trans body, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> I think I, a lot of trans people feel like me. It's like, I can't wait until the country freaks out about something else. I can't wait until they, freak, they find something else to freak out about. I mean, to be like, you know, a national, the subject of national freak out, you know, year after year <laughs> is really a downer. 
you know, and uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so I don't know, that's my life story in a nutshell. I guess, I guess I'd sort of want to end up on a positive note by saying that, you know, uh, uh, I had a great pride this year, and I went, yeah, and, 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 uh, and I really felt, I did the, uh, the, the Queer Liberation March, yeah. which was the anti-corporate, yes. yeah, the Queer Liberation March. And, and I thought, um, I, uh, I really loved it because there was something about it that was, you know, sort of recapturing the, you know, the sort of political dimension of, and, you know, of, of being trans. And I'm, I'm not much of a gender theorist, but I do believe, uh, I, I, I do believe that being trans uh, has political implications. It's not a political statement, but it has political implications that are unavoidable. In other words, you know, to be trans is to be necessarily an outsider, and is to be necessarily, uh, even with, uh, you know, sort of, you know, uh, sort of feel-good, uh, uh, feel-good corporate sponsorship, or you know, interest of Hollywood. Uh, none of that mitigates that. You know, and, and uh, I thought that the, the Queer Liberation March sort of captured that. There was a lot of just raw energy. And uh, I did it with my partner, Pod, who was dressed as like a, a rank of rainbow warriors. And, 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 uh, and, and it was fabulous. Uh, and, and I did actually, I did, uh, I did uh, three events. I did that, I did the Dyke March the day before, which was fabulous. Uh, and then I did the, the Trans Day of uh, Trans Day of Action, which was, were you there? Yeah. Were you? Okay, I was there, okay. <laughs> I didn't know you then, but I guess I, I, I met someone from the project. Yes. That's how I ended up there, okay. And I was there, and for me, that was actually a big moment for me because I'd never done Trans Day of Action. And I, 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 uh, I'm, I'm political, and I'm, uh, you know, I consider myself an activist, but, uh, that was honestly, I think, the first time I had ever been in a group of trans people that large. I don't think I'd ever been where, I'm, I don't know, your guess is as good as mine. How many people were there? 1,500 maybe? Or something. There were so many. There were so many. And, you know, I, I'd never been somewhere where there were that many trans people. And I loved it. You know, on the one hand, I was thinking like, okay, you know, afterwards I was thinking the Dyke March stretched up and down Fifth Avenue. You know, both marches on Sunday were huge. And trans people could barely fill up half of Washington Square Park, but, you know, but, you know, still, there was like, there was numbers, and there was like, you know, and, 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 and uh, suddenly, I, and I love, I, I, I really, community is really important for me, uh, and, and I seek out community, and being in a place where uh, I'm, I don't stick out, you know, where, you know, I'm not, people aren't staring at me or whispering about me or laughing at me, which happens to me often enough. I'm a six foot two transsexual, people stare and laugh. Uh, you know, but being where that's not the case is, uh, as a respite is very important to me. And so I, I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed all three of them. I had very positive experiences. And, and I suppose uh, from that I could segue into sort of a, a community in general in, in, in New York. I, uh, uh, I, um, I live in Tribeca, which is uh, not as cool as it sounds. Uh, it's, it's, Tribeca is a pretty place in many ways, uh, and it has good access to all the subways. And I walk to work, which is very important. I walk to Pace University, even though Pace University is the worst place to come out in the universe. I, <laughs> uh, you know, but Tribeca is, there's, it, it, 
does not have much of a queer vibe or a queer presence or I think many queer people. And so during Pride, you know, uh, I felt it really powerfully. When I went to the West Village during Pride, and I go to the West Village often because I'm a regular at Julius's bar on, on Waverly and West 10th, stop by. <laughs> Which is actually interesting because it's not a, it's not a place, it's not a tranny bar and it's not traditionally people don't consider it friendly to to trans people and there was actually a pose episode where I don't know if you caught it where uh, where one of the characters goes into Julius's and is asked to leave, you know, because she's she's trans. And all the uh, when the police come to take her, all the all the patrons break out in in, in uh, applause. Uh, I love the episode, and I don't think it's unfair generally to gay bars because gay bars can be not nice to trans people. They really can be. I have seen a lot of situations where bars will refuse to serve trans people by shutting down sometimes. Uh, and I've seen trans people uh, refuse entry out the door. Any like, specific bars that you can think of? Well, I don't want to... Well, <laughs> uh, I'm here to tell the truth, the, the whole truth and nothing about the truth. But Julius is actually, and this wasn't actually that long ago, I went there with some girlfriends, other trans women, and one of the, one of the girls with me didn't have an ID. And the doorman was a new doorman, and so he, you know, uh, he was looking at the IDs, uh, and he, he wouldn't let her in. And then we said, well, you know, can, can she come in and get something to eat? And he said, yes. And then when she came in, he kicked her out again. And, uh, and then uh, one of the other girls uh, had an ID, but it didn't have her name. It had her dead name on it because she hadn't changed the, you know, changed the uh, license yet. And uh, he dead named her. And, uh, you know, he was new, and, and uh, so one of my girlfriends kind of got in a shouting match with him, and he did exactly what you shouldn't do with trans women, which is chest beat. Like, you know, like, in other words, if you chest beat with trans women, we think you're treating us like a man, and that makes us really mad. So he was, like, really kind of chest beating, like, you listen to me. And, you know, and then, it, like, like, you know, that's nothing is more offensive for trans women because you're talking to us like we're a man. And, and so, so there was this awful scene and we were all asked to leave. Uh, and I see, you know, so even there it happened, you know. I, I, I went back later because I am a regular there and I went in and I, 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 you know, I got him and the manager and I said, I said, what happened there? You know, and wow, state laws, this person can't come in. I said, I said, listen, yes, there's state law, but state law doesn't mean you have to act like that. And I said, I said, you know that with trans women, you know IDs are a problem. You know it is. You know that you know that changing them's difficult. You know that the fact that they're difficult to change means we often have IDs that don't have our name on them. You know that. And you looked at a person in a dress and used used their dead name. You know, you know, what are you thinking? I let them have it, you know. And I will say that, you know, generally, uh, at, at Julius's at least, they are very nice to me, uh, and most of the bartenders are great. But uh, that's not always the case. Uh, also, there was there's another incident I can think of at Henrietta Hudson's uh, where, yeah, same, they weren't happy to see us, you know. And also, it has sometimes even happened at Cubbyhole. Cubbyhole is, is usually great. Uh, did you ever go to Cubbyhole? Like, no, okay. Cubbyhole. 
Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, in a few years, come find me. I'll like to go <laughs> You know, Cubby Hole is a great place too, but you know, it's also, they can be that way too. Uh, you know, and you know, Cubby Hole's a, a, a lesbian bar, you know, primarily though, you know, guys do go there, but uh, they, and there's an element there, and at Henrietta Hudson's where, you know, they say this is woman's space, and in our view, you're not. That's not you. And you know, but but I have to say, the people who run Cubby Hall are super nice. Though they they put up a big poster that said "Love is Love," you know, in, in, in the transgender flag. And so you know, so can I also say, you know, if we're, you know, to talk about sort of you know issues with the the lesbian or the or women's community generally, that at the at the Dyke March on uh, uh, during Pride. Uh, I was, I was, I'd never done the dark march, and I was afraid, you know, I'd get TERFs, you know, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, for listeners who don't know. (laughs) Yeah, you know what, I don't know what your experience was, maybe it was like mine, when I got there, the first thing I saw was a big banner that said, hey, there's no place here with the transgender flag, and I never got a bad vibe, so. uh, I had, like, a really good experience with that, and, like, a bunch of people have signs that are, like, yeah. Supportive of like trans dykes, and I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was it, it, it was fabulous, and I was so happy because I know that last year at the London Pride there were like a group of angry turfs that showed up and you know and did a protest and and so um yeah it was it, it was uh it was really fabulous uh, uh you know uh, so I've seen people I've seen trans people treated badly at bars. Uh, and sometimes it's deliberate. Sometimes it's it's just the regulars say at a place like Julius's. Now they're used to me, right? Uh, but they might not be used to them. And you know, at some bars, I mean, you know, at a place like Julius's, some of those people have been drinking there since Stonewall. And I'm not even joking. I mean, some of those people have been at the bar for 50 years. <laughs> okay, like you know, I'm not joking. You know, and and um, <laughs> you know. They, they they would come. This this uh, there's some people who were there before Stonewall, you know, because it's been there since before Stonewall. Uh, so, uh, you, you know, uh, it's and it's their place. You know, it's like you know, after after all those years, it's like yeah, it's their place. You know, uh, and so there was a period of I had to uh, get to know people. I had to really sort of like you know like uh, you know uh, you know make my way in. You know, get to know the regulars, and 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 get to know that you know I, I I'm like anyone else. I'm a queer person who needs a queer safe space where I can get out of the world for a while and come where no one's gonna bother me, and you know and and uh, I wanted to be here and you know and that you know I just wanna uh, I wanna come in have a few drinks relax let my guard down, you know, uh, not have anyone hassle me you know and and once they got that you know that. Uh, you know, I'm not a floor show. I'm not here to like, you know, like sing. You know, I'm not here to like. I could, I do sing, but <laughs> but I want, you know, but I'm really just here to relax and have a good time. Uh, then it was. Then they're fine with me. So, then that's really been a that's really been a very positive thing in my life. Being a regular there, they are uh, Julius's, and uh, and it's not the only bar, but Julius's is the one I'm familiar with. Uh, they. Uh, they always every year they give a, a Christmas and a, and a Thanksgiving dinner, and uh, one of the bartenders, the longtime bartenders there, Danny, who's like everyone knows him, he's the sweetest guy in the world. 
He said, you know, we, we've been doing this since the 80s, and we've been doing this because uh, back uh, years ago, uh, you know, uh, if you were gay or lesbian uh, or trans or anything, it was like going over the edge of Niagara Falls. Your family didn't want anything to do with you. No one wanted anything to do with you. And, you know, at the holidays, there were lots of people in the village who couldn't go home. You couldn't go home. You know, you were, you know, an embarrassment to your family. And so uh, we always give a Christmas and a, and a, and a New Year's and a, and, a, and a Thanksgiving. And so uh, a few years ago, um, you know, I've been banned from my family uh, holidays for a while. Pat and I usually go upstate uh, to a friend of hers place. But uh, a few years ago, I was in town, didn't have anything to do. And I'm like, you know what? Uh, you know, I'm going to go. And I went to the Thanksgiving at Julius's. And can I say, I had, a, I had a wonderful time. And it was full of people, you know, like me. Yeah, I, you know, I, and I realized, you know, no, I'm not, I'm not here just because it's something different. I'm like, I, I belong here. It's like, I'm no different than any of these people. And things haven't changed that much in 30 years. I can't go home. You know, in other words, I, yeah, I'm not welcome. You know, so it's like, you know, uh, this is where I belong and it's really good that it's here, you know. Uh, so that's been fab. The other thing that really keeps me uh, going uh, is the, the, uh, the community of trans women that I've gotten to know uh, in the West Village. I, I sort of know, I know most of the, a lot of girls downtown. It's like, you know, and also people who come downtown, you know, so I spend a lot of time at the LGBT Center on 13th Street. Uh, I, you know, I, 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 I uh, I'm taking a course there right now. I also do the, you know, the group for, for transgender women. And, um, and I've met some wonderful, wonderful women. And it, is, it, it can be really magical, I tell you, to go to, to, go to uh, this group, which I'm a longtime member, uh, but they always have new people. And it can be really magical when you go there and like some young person, you know, she is, she is terrified. She can't even, you know, wear the clothes to get on the subway to come here. She changes in the bathroom, you know. Uh, you know, uh, she, she has a name, but you know, uh, you know, it's just poking their way out and to watch them bloom. You know, and then in that environment, I'm tearing up again because you know this really is moving. You know, and and in the in the in the course of a few months, watch them go from sort of a angry, isolated, you know, uh, which is how so many of us are uh, when we don't have community, uh, to, to 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 laughing, to to opening up, you know, to uh, to feeling good about themselves. And for many of them, it's the first time they're in a room with other trans people. And it's 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 heartbreaking to watch. It's like some, there was you know uh, you know that there was one girl I'm thinking of, and she was you know she's in her twenties, kicked out of her house when she was seventeen, you know, and she's uh, you know uh, had to survive on her own after seventeen, uh, did sex work, you know, and and uh, when she got there, really like angry, isolated. Every other word was a four-letter word, you know, and who wouldn't be? And after the life that she'd had, uh, and now this was quite a long time ago. But now I see her, and she's the most beautiful, you know. And she's like, you know, she's got she's got a job now. She's got a boy, boy lives with her boyfriend. She's doing well, you know. And she's like, you know, uh, she also, you know, she had drug problems too. Hasn't touched, been sober, you know. Uh, she she's doing super well, and it's like, you know, it's it's a uh, community saves saves us from so much. Isolation, depression, loneliness. I, 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 
uh, I couldn't survive without the community. I couldn't survive without Julius's, the LGBT center, my trans woman friends, and my, my, and my queer friends. I have a lot of, you know, especially uh, 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 lesbian friends. I have a lot of lesbian friends. I couldn't survive without them. You know, uh, I really couldn't. And, it's, uh, and, and, and that's not hyperbole or overstatement. That's, that's simply fact. I, I could not psychologically have survived. And also, in other ways as well, you know, <coughs> uh, you know the, uh, uh, as someone on you know, very limited income, because <laughs> Pace University treats me like, can I say it, shit. <laughs> um, one more time, just in case I haven't mentioned Pace University. Um, you, know, uh, you know, I'm very limited budget, and they, uh, you know, uh, I get so much support from the community. Uh, the course I'm taking, they 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 uh, waive the tuition. You know, uh, uh, I swear that you know, uh, depending on who's attending bar. I, I mean, when I go out in the West Village half the time. I don't even pay for a drink. It's like I go. It's like like you know. It's like Erica, what are you drinking? It's like I don't know. The end of the night. It's like what's the bar bell? There isn't one. And I, it doesn't happen all the time. It depends on who's who's at who's at the bar. But it's like I tell you, it's like. And, you know, the, uh, when there's still, despite the gentrification in that part of New York and the, all the money and all that kind of thing, there is still a core of, you know, genuine community there. There's still a core of genuine, you know, uh, it, you know, uh, this is our life, our survival, you know, and, uh, and, and I, although, you know, now people, you know, can, can get married, uh, uh, you know, there's gay marriage, et cetera, and so forth, and people can get married and have queer families, and, and especially younger generations are more accepting. Not all of them are, and it depends on where you're from, and frankly, most, much of the world is still not a friendly place to be queer. And, and so community, you know, uh, uh, you know, is the core of, you know, our, our, our cultural expression and survival, you know, and, and, uh, and what gets me so much is young queer people who, you know, you know, gay bars are, are, <laughs> there we go, wow, look there be like, you know, you know, gay bars uh, are um, uh, disappearing and gay spaces are disappearing. And, you know, uh, even in the West Village, I can name three, you know, three bars that are gone now that, you know, that, that used to be there. And why is there, are there any fewer gay people? Not at all. What's going on is, you know, you know, a, a lot of younger people, don't take this as a sermon, <laughs> don't take this as a sermon, but I'm sort of, you know, a lot of younger people, younger queer people, they're just like, I meet people online, right? Oh, you meet people online. Okay. Do you really find community online? Well, you know, I have Instagram. You know, and maybe it's a generational thing, and maybe I'm just, you know, an old hag. But, you know, I'm, I'm just like, you know, I cannot conceive of a world, you know, you know, or a life where I didn't have a Euclidean space, you know, to go to, you know, gay space. And the loss of, of gay space is tragic. You know, the loss of gay bars, gay cafes, gay beaches. I mean, when you walk down Christopher Street now, I used to walk down Christopher Street and there were, you know, uh, for, yeah, first of all, there were two or three more gay bars, one of which was a trans bar. 
uh, a lot of black trans girls used to hang there uh, on the north side of the street. I think it was called One Potato, Two Potato. Uh, you know, uh, and then the, the, the cafes, there they used to be several uh, gay cafes, you know, and, and, and head shops and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and also, yeah, and also like, you know, like cruising, you know, uh, jack shacks, basically, like, you know, like sex clubs, you know, all on Christopher Street. And now, you know, you have ties, you have hangers, you know, uh, uh, you, have, you still have the Stonewall, which I never go in because, like, it's like, have <laughs> you ever seen, you ever been inside the Stonewall? They won't let you in. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of, it's like gross enough. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, and PCs and stuff. There's still, you know, there used to be the Oscar Wilde bookstore, bookstores, gay bookstores. They're gone. I mean, there, there, there are none. There are none in New York, you know, uh, I, the last one in Boston was uh, Cadmus, and that closed a few years ago. Uh, you know, it's just gay bookstores are gone. And people, you know, I, I understand that, okay, people now read online, and you know, and, and on top of that, gay bookstores are sort of a victim of Barnes and Nobles now has an LGBT center, or an LGBT shelf, you know. I get that they've sort of, you know in other words we're they're a victim of their own success or this you know the the acceptance of gay people, but uh, you know gay bookstores were where you met people you know where you cruised men and women you know uh, you know gays and lesbians trans and everyone else would cruise bookstores you know because uh, but you know uh, and. and uh, you know, and also where you got your information, you know, uh, you know, uh, the, the last uh, time I went to Cadmus, which is, was Boston's last gay bookstore, I got, uh, uh, I bought a, a copy uh, of uh, Roz Kavani's Dialectic of the Flesh. Roz Kavani is a British uh, transsexual, and she wrote a, a book of poems uh, dedicated to her surgery. You know about like what her surgery was like. Cost me fifty cents. They were just trying to get rid of it. Uh, and it was signed by her. She's a well-known writer too. And I, uh, I took it home, and uh, and it, it really did change my life. You know, and I, I never would have run into it otherwise. Uh, and I still have a copy of it right on my desk, and I, uh, I, I'm, I still turn to it for you know as I get closer you know to my own surgery. Uh, uh, so. Uh, the loss of gay bookstores is tragic, you know, it really is. Uh, gay, gay beaches as well. I used to spend a lot of time at a gunkwit uh, up in Maine, which used to be sort of a pea town in Maine, you know, it used to be, uh, or a fire island, it used to be a real uh, center for gay life. But it's been taken over by straight people, and when I go to the beach, the part of the beach, when I was growing up, there was a part of the beach that was gay. And oh my God, you know, uh, my family owns a cottage up there. And, uh, and when I was a child, we would always go there. And we would walk quickly past the gay section of the beach. You know, it, you know, it was just like, don't even look at the gay section of the beach. And of course, I was like, oh, what's going on over there? And, uh, you know, uh, and now, because this is weird to say, but, you know, straight people feel no fear of sunbathing next to gay people. And what happens is you have a hundred gay people on that section of the beach and they're joined by 400 straight people because they're no longer frightened of them, which is great, but then you end up with, it's no longer a gay beach.
much, you know, and it's like, you know, in a strange sense, you know, the victory of the, of the LGBT community is also our undoing. In other words, our acceptance in many respects is fabulous, but when the acceptance is being subsumed, you know, into mainstream society and the, the distinctive spaces that characterized us are lost, it's tragic. It's tragic. And I, I always get in arguments with young queer people and I say, you know, the loss of gay space and they say, we have an online space. I say, does that online space keep the rain out? When it rains, does the online space keep the rain out? Right? <laughs> I know. Does that online space have four walls? Does the kitchen, is, how late's the kitchen open at that like, <laughs> online space? Right? Or do you eat online too? <laughs> okay, just to be a bitch about it. <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, I've been talking now for like a long time. Like, uh, anything you want to ask me in particular? Yeah, I had okay. some like random okay. follow up things. Oh, yeah, I wanted to ask about um, your writing and the oh, type okay. of writing you do and your inspiration. Oh, okay. Oh, well, thank you for asking. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I write both, both fiction and nonfiction. I, um, <clears throat> let's see, where should I start? My, my sort of straight writing. Uh, is uh, yes, right. <laughs> what, would, what would you call it? I mean, nothing. I mean, like straight. I don't know. Like, okay, it's it's not concerned with identity or or, or LGBT life much, uh, except accidentally. Uh, I I uh, I've done a lot of uh, work in uh, in South Asia. Uh, so uh, my first book uh, was called The Upside Down Tree: India's Changing Culture. It was put out by Algora Press, uh, available online, and and uh, and it is a cultural study of northern India and how it changed uh, in in about a twenty year window, uh, which was uh, an interesting time period that stretches from the opening of the airwaves, in other words, when uh, when uh, when foreign television uh, and other content started getting into the country, uh, and then watching that change the culture. Uh, so, uh, I have also published uh, uh, on Salon.com, I have published in Gay and Lesbian Review Worldwide, uh, an article uh, about AIDS outreach in, in Asia. Uh, I was the senior editor of Tricycle, the Buddhist Review uh, in, in the 2000s, uh, which uh, I was not there long. <laughs> uh, I, was, uh, I also... Uh, edited uh, an academic journal called uh, Verilex Journal of Natural His uh, uh, I'm sorry Natural Law Journal of Natural Law, which is funny because natural law is often uh, considered synonymous with anti-LGBT feeling. Uh, they didn't know uh, when I was editor that you know the editor <laughs> the editor was trans, but so that's sort of that's sort of my straight life. You know I. I uh, uh, you know, uh, I could go on. I'm publishing in the Journal of Central Asian Studies as well. You know, but maybe the more interesting part of my publishing history uh, for for listeners is that I uh, I for about 20 years I've been writing erotica, literary erotica, and this started uh, this started in the 90s. Uh, I started working with uh, Susie Bright. Uh, who's a well-known editor uh, from California. She was the editor for the Best American Erotica series uh, with Touchstone Books, an imprint of Simon & Schuster. And it was sort of a landmark uh, series 
uh, you know, of erotica that took erotica from pulp fiction and made it what it became, Fifty Shades of Grey, and you know, and sort of the the, the commercialization, the mass commercialization of erotica. But uh, back when I got into the scene, it wasn't like that. It was still a scene. It was still like you know, the writers knew each other. You know, we knew each other. And so I worked for Susie Bright uh, on her on her books, and I wrote a number of stories for her. Which were which were well 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 uh, uh, well uh, well accepted, well regarded. <clears throat> you know, I got a lot of good reviews. Uh, I wrote uh, one of them was called the first one was the Queen of Exit Seventeen. It was about cruising rest stops on Route ninety five, a fictional account of cruising rest stops. <laughs> uh, and then I did a satire of uh, of women's tennis called Backhand. Uh, which can briefly be described as a locker room tryst between Anna Kornikova and Martina Navratilova. Thank you for laughing. And, and, uh, and then I did uh, an, uh, uh, the other one that really got a lot of attention was a book called, uh, was, a, was a short story called uh, uh, Get Thee Behind Me Satan, uh, which, was, <clears throat> which was sort of an absurdist take on identity and uh, uh, got a, a lot of press. So, uh, I've, I've done a lot uh, uh, of, of, of fiction, erotica. Uh, I, uh, Susie, is, uh, Susie Bright always wants to do a collection of short stories and we never do it. Uh, maybe someday it will appear. Uh, we've been working on it for years now and I don't think it's any closer to publication. <laughs> but, uh, but she's sort of she's moved on to other things. She's left Simon and Schuster. She worked, uh, briefly was at Chronicle. Now she's at Audible. She actually does Audible books. She 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 was a uh, if 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 listeners aren't familiar with her name, she was a she was a landmark figure, uh, sort of a, a foundational figure in the uh, San Francisco uh, underground publishing scene in the seventies. She did uh, she was an original editor of On Our Backs, which was one of the original lesbian publications. Which you're familiar? Oh, good. Wow, you're well you're well read. You're well read for you. <laughs> you're very well read. So. Time in archives. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're very well read for such a young person. I'm impressed. <laughs> so, okay. Um, yeah, you just mentioned you were an editor for the Buddhist Review. Yeah. Are you like a practicing Buddhist? I am not. No, uh, not at all. I've, I've, um, I, well, in terms of religion, there's a subject we haven't gotten to. Uh, I was raised Catholic. Uh, and I was an intermittent Catholic. I was Catholic when I was young. I was an altar boy, uh, and then uh, when I was a teenager, I lost interest. Uh, at certain other points in my life, I I did go back to the church uh, for for solace uh, and community, which I frankly found very little of. Uh, and at a certain point, it became very clear to me that there's there's no place for me in the Catholic Church. Uh, this was you know, a real point of contention between me and my father. My father's very religious. Uh, so I, uh, I'm, a, I'm a recovering Catholic or a lapsed Catholic. <laughs> a recovering Catholic. <laughs> when, you were, when you were really raised Catholic, you're, you're in recovery, right? Uh, so uh, then uh, I, I've had a lifelong interest in Asian religion. Uh, you know, I've published on Buddhism and Hinduism and Asian religion, shamanism is my recent thing, uh, but I'm not. A, I don't practice any of them. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a scholar of, of uh, foreign, uh, uh, maybe foreign's not the right word, uh, non-Western cultures. 
so I uh, <coughs> my my <coughs> the only thing, other thing I can really add to religion is that uh, I recently became sort of on a, on a personal level anyway. I recently became very interested in in Wicca because I I I, uh, I became very interested in the idea of a goddess, and I think it has to do with uh, uh, you know. Uh, uh, the goddess worship felt right to me, uh, and and uh, I, if I conceive of uh, an omniscient, omnipotent, and intelligent being, it would be a woman or a female uh, sort of personality. So I became interested in in, in uh, Wicca, and I I briefly joined a coven uh, of Dianic uh, Dianic Wicca, which uh, meets actually at the LGBT Center on Thirteenth Street. And uh, now, before I went, uh, I didn't know quite what Dianic Wicca was, so I went online, and Dianic Wicca is a form of Wicca that worships Diana and other goddesses. But when I went online, I found that they have a national organization, an umbrella organization, and that umbrella organization is explicitly TERF. They say, uh, we, we accept women-born women you know, to, to be members of our, of our groups. So uh, I contacted the high priestess of the coven and said, you know, um, I'm a little worried, you know, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, the, the national organization is TERF. I knew they couldn't be because you can't be TERF and use the LGBT center. It's like, you can't do that. Yeah, so, so, so she wrote me back, the high priestess, uh, who's a wonderful woman, Alex, the, the high priestess, she's great. She wrote me back and she said, no, no, no. She's like, we are trans inclusive. And she's like, we are, we, we disagree with the national chapter on that count. And, you know, and, and uh, you're invited most certainly to come. So I would go to some of their uh, Sabbaths. And I, I really enjoyed them, actually. Uh, you know, Wiccan ceremonies are fascinating. You cast circle, you light candles, you, you, know, you, pray, you, you pray to the directions, then you, you do visualizations of goddesses. And it's really, I, I found it wonderful. I actually found it very, uh, uh, very cathartic and very, very useful. And the priestess is very welcoming, and many of her congregation are very welcoming. But some members aren't. And so, uh, at a certain point, uh, there was a conflict. Uh, several of the members uh, walked out uh, because of my presence. And then during, during a Sabbath, meaning during, while you have the, the, the candles lit and the circle passed, while we were communing with the goddess, one of the women uh, says, I'm getting a vision of the goddess. I'm getting a message from the goddess. And she says, the goddess is angry at you because you're mutilating your body. And it was in the middle of, a, you know, it was in the middle of this religious ceremony. And so, so I'm like, uh, listen, um, uh, you know, do I have to stop the ceremony and do like transgender 101? And I did. That's right. So, like, you know. so we had to stop and put out the candles. And I had to be like, listen, you know, first of all, you know, the surgery is not a mutilation. It's, you know, it's reconfiguration, you know, and it's, you know, and, you know, and I had to do this in the middle of, you know, this wicked ceremony. And it was very upsetting. And it was upsetting not only to me, but to the other members of the group. And so afterwards, I said to the priestess, I said, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't come back. So the funny thing with religion with me is that I, I 
uh, you know, I had to leave the Catholic Church because of who I am, and I had to leave the witches' coven <laughs> because of who I am. And I say, no, that's irony. No, that's like, the Catholic Church and witches, although, you know, they used to <clears throat> say burn each other at the stake, They're, they now can agree on one thing, and that's that I'm not welcome. <laughs> they finally found a point of commonality. <laughs> <laughs> um, jumping back to the wonderful Pace University. Oh, wow. yeah. <laughs> obviously the administration and the other faculty were really terrible. What about the students and student body? Thank you for asking. The students are fabulous. They are fabulous. Uh, you know, I've had very few problems with students, and I've never had a serious problem. Uh, I've had a few, you know. Uh, uh, you know, the first day they, they called me by the wrong pronoun. And then I, you know, I just do a spiel the first day. This is my name, this is my, you know, uh, and I'm pretty laid back, but nobody calls me by another name, you know. Uh, and so, uh, and I have very few problems. And, and the students are very accepting. And, uh, and, and, uh, and I even have, we get a lot of international students. And I have students from places, you know, where trans people do not live publicly. You know, places like Iran, Kazakhstan, you know, China. You know, trans people do not live publicly. You, you know, uh, and, uh, and yet, uh, even with those students who you might expect I would be off the radar or too strange, I have no problems with them. Uh, <coughs> you know. Uh, and it's it's actually moving to me to see someone from, you know, uh, a part of the world, you know, where, uh, you know, uh, there is no LGBT life, and to see, you know, someone from there, uh, uh, you know, get it, get it quickly, uh, and 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 have no problem with it, and and it, it gives me hope, uh, and 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 also, and not only just our foreign countries, I get people from, you know, you know, uh, uh, the heartland. You know, for whom you know, uh, New York is new. People like me are new to them. You know, and to see them, uh, to to see them deal with it in a way that is not, uh, not dismissive, uh, but not disrespectful. It's just, it's uh, my teacher is is trans, and uh, and but you know, she gives a hard midterm, and you know, and, and then they move, you know, they move on to what they're really interested in is how do you pass the class, you know, and. Uh, and uh, they have been fabulous to me. They have absolutely been fabulous to me. Uh, and it's very moving to watch that. And it's, it's, it, it gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope because, you know, it's with, with, young pe with younger people, uh, there is a profound difference in attitudes, uh, particularly when it comes to gender identity, uh, a profound difference. And, and uh, uh, the, the, the older generations have a lot to learn from the younger generations. And at, at, at Pace University, on this count, the faculty has a lot to learn from the students. Uh, so <coughs> along those lines, uh, with all my troubles with the philosophy department, I have a friend in the English department. And when she heard about all the horrible things that were happening in my department, she shows up one day and she says, she says, Erica, uh, what are you doing next semester? I said, starving. She said, she goes, do you want to teach trans lit? And I was like, yes. So, 
So uh, I'm teaching, I'm starting uh, teaching translit this fall, which I've never done before. And frankly, it was intimidating because I'm sort of like, I'm not qualified to teach translit. And I told my friend that. I'm like, I'm not qualified to teach this course. She said, who's more qualified than you? You're the only trans faculty member at the university. You know, you know she's like, put together a syllabus. You know, if there's a problem, I'll tell you. She, so I put together a syllabus, you know, and so, yeah, I'm scheduled to teach translit. I'm excited for that, you know, uh, because it's 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 new, but beyond that, it's it's uh, uh, you know the uh, when it, when it comes to the students at the university, the LGBT students are fabulous, and the LGBT center is fabulous, and the students there are great, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, I guess I need to say this clearly because it's all the things I've said about Pace University. The problems I have with it are with the administration, you know, not with the students, and certainly not with the LGBT students, who are who really are wonderful. Uh, it's just that there are segments of the faculty and administration who are not ready, uh, and uh, and are so not ready that you sort of say, "What are you doing in higher education in 2019?" You know, uh, uh, but the students are are fabulous, and they give me a lot of hope. And, uh, and when I look to the future, you can really get upset because of the federal government and, you know, and President Trump and Jeff Sessions and, and all and, uh, uh, you know, and the concerted effort of the federal government to disempower uh, and destroy the, the transgender community. But to counterbalance that, the students are a great place to look. Because there I say, you know what, and I think polls show this as well, younger people are more accepting on these counts. And for that reason, despite everything, you know, I think the future is bright. I think that, you know, that, that, uh, that you know, there will be a day when, when I hope it's in 2020, I pray that it's in 2020, I pray to God, goddess, or whoever is out there that, you know, in 2020 we get a different president. And by the way, I'm going for Kamala Harris, I don't know about you, but <laughs> time for a woman. But someday this president will be gone. And, you know, and I think the future, the future is going to be bright. Uh, and I think that there's going to be a growing acceptance that will eventually get to the point that gays and lesbians got to, where there's a realization that these people are a constant uh, variation on the human species. They didn't just come into existence. They historically have always been here. LGBT people are mentioned in the book of Deuteronomy. We were there with Moses. We've always been here. You know, and there's a growing realization that, yes, they're a constant part of the human family. Sometimes you see them, sometimes you don't. You can scare them and make them hide, but you can't make them disappear. And nor is there a good reason to want to, because they don't, uh, you know, they're a productive, creative uh, part of society. And I think there's a growing awareness of that everywhere, even in the heartland. Uh, sometimes I read uh, Trans Advocate, which is, uh, if you haven't checked it out, uh, it's, a, it's an online publication out of Dallas, Texas. So these are, these are Texas trans people who have put together this publication uh, and do a podcast. And, uh, and you think Texas, right? And you think, of course, of Muleja Booker, uh, who was recently uh, murdered in Texas, and also other transgender women who were murdered in Texas, uh, in Dallas in particular. And you think, okay, uh, it's terrible to be trans in Texas. And yet, you know, uh, here's this publication uh, run by trans people, owned by trans people, uh, publishes material on trans issues, 
and they represent you know a vital community and you know the the, the bathroom bills are going to go and you know and, and president trump is going to go uh, and and i and and uh, even in, and even in the heartland uh, you're going to get i think you know an acceptance that they're here they've always been here uh, they have, they have no reason to deny them rights uh, and uh, and and so I do believe that the future is bright. You know, uh, I'll be an old woman by the time it happens, but you know, I think the future is bright. <laughs> so maybe that's a good way to place to place to end. Or yeah. you know. Tell us if there's anything else you feel like you want to add. Or... Oh well, this was fabulous. I've been talking about my life for an hour and a half. How often do I get to talk about my life for an hour and a half? Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And can I say you're very you're very impressive in terms of your how well well read you are. I'm serious. Yeah. Like I was like I, you know that you knew on our backs. That's impressive. I'm like you know because that's like that's like seventies. Like that's like for most people for most like my students that's ancient history. That's I fully like, attribute that to one of my professors. All right. Yeah. Okay. Oh great. All okay. Right. All right. <laughs> Fabulous. Okay. Thank right. you so much. Thank I had you. a wonderful time. So did I.